welcome back to the Revision Hub. This is the first of a series of episodes based on Module 3 of the A-Level Chemistry course. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to our previous episodes covering Module 2, because that's the base upon which the rest of the course builds. In this episode, we'll be discussing ionisation energies and why they increase as electrons are removed, linking back to orbitals and subshells, which we covered in a previous episode. We'll then discuss the periodic table before finishing off with group 2 and group 7 reactions. So, ionisation energy. What is it? It's the energy required to remove an electron from each atom or ion in one mole of gaseous atoms or ions to form an ion with a more positive charge because a negatively charged electron has been removed but the number of protons which are positively charged has remained constant. This logic can be applied to the specific ionisation energy you're asked about. For example, if it was the first ionisation energy, then it's the energy required to remove one electron from each atom in one mole of gaseous atoms to form one mole of gaseous 1 plus ions. And for the second ionisation energy, it's the same, but you're forming gaseous 2 plus ions. If you're asked to write the equation, then it's essential that you include state symbols because even if your example doesn't normally require them, this is always happening in a gaseous state, and you need to state that you know that. If you're asked for the second ionisation of magnesium, then it would be Mg plus gaseous goes to Mg2 plus gaseous plus E minus. Imagine sodium with 11 electrons. The first electron removed is from the third shell. This electron has the most shielding, it's furthest from the nucleus or nuclear charge remains constant as you remove electrons, so its ionisation energy is the least. When you remove the second electron, it has fewer inner electron shells to shield it. The nuclear charge is the same, but the distance to the nucleus is smaller, so the ionisation energy is greater than for the first electron. The general trend is that ionisation energy increases by a fairly constant amount, when you remove electrons from the same shell. However, there's a jump in energy required as you move to a shell close to the nucleus. That's because the shielding and distance to the nucleus have both decreased. In some cases, you might be given a specific example though. For example, explain the change in ionisation energy between certain electrons. If they're both in the same shell, then they're probably in a different subshell. An example of this would be that the 2p subshell has a higher energy than the 2s subshell. So as the electrons in the 2s subshell are close to the nucleus, the ionisation energy is greater than those in the 2p subshell. Although definitions are sometimes asked for, I found that the knowledge of this is more frequently tested in an applied format. An example would be explain the reactivities of group 1 metals in relation to ionisation energy. As you go down the group, the distance between the outer shell electrons the nucleus becomes greater and shielding also increases. This means that the reactivity increases because it's easier to lose an electron to obtain a full outer shell as you go down the group, despite the increasing nuclear charge. Covering all three points, distance between the nucleus and the outer shell, nuclear charge and shielding within your answers are typically the three marking points, even if it's just a statement to say that it remains constant. For example, if you're answering questions on the change as you go across a period, then the shielding would remain constant. Linking back to the zigzag pattern, 
in ionisation energy. As well as considering the different energy levels of different subshells, the electrons being paired or unpaired in orbitals is also relevant. Because they have like charges, electrons will exist in separate orbitals where possible. For example, in the 2p subshell, there are three orbitals, so three electrons could be found here and they'd all be in separate orbitals. If a fourth electron was also found there, then it would have to be paired up with another electron. They can do this due to their opposite spin, but they still repel each other, meaning that the energy required to remove this electron is lower than the other electrons that can exist separately. The next section is just some further understanding on the periodic table. I briefly mentioned it during a previous episode, but this is just a bit more detailed than that. The vertical columns are groups, and the horizontal rows are periods, something that you should remember from GCSE. The new thing is that there are S, P, D and F subshells. The name of a block on the periodic table relates to the type of subshell within which the outermost electron is found. Group 1 and group 2 are the S block, and hydrogen and helium are also included in this block because their electronic configurations are 1s1 and 1s2 respectively. The next block is the P block, which is the right hand side of the periodic table. This excludes helium, despite it being in group 8, because its outermost electron isn't in the P subshell. The P block cuts down vertically with the third group, with all of the transition elements on the left of this and on the right of group 2, being in the D block. The, their outermost electron is found in the D subshell. The elements that are often found separately at the bottom of the periodic table are in the F block, which, as you can guess, have their outermost electron in the F subshell. The next topic in this episode is group 2 compounds. Group 2 metals increase in reactivity as you go down the group, because the outer shell electrons are further from the nucleus and have more shielding. The decrease in ionisation energy is despite the increasing nuclear charge. They form two plus ions, losing two electrons to obtain a full outer shell. There are three compounds that you may be asked about. Magnesium hydroxide, MgOH2, which can be used to neutralise excess stomach acid that causes acid reflux, which is indigestion and heartburn. Calcium hydroxide. As a far stronger alkaline base, this can be used to adjust the pH of acidic soils. A concern would be that an excess use can result in alkaline soils, which means that the desired crop might not grow because it's not suited to that pH of soil. And then there's barium hydroxide, which is often used in analytical chemistry to titrate weak acids because its insolubility in water ensures there's no carbon in there. The reactions are more vigorous as reactivity increases down the group. Solubility decreases. The pH increases because OH- ion concentration increases. The final topic in this episode is group 7 elements. Their reactivity decreases because distance to the nucleus and shielding increases, meaning the attraction of electrons to the nucleus decreases. The boiling point increases as you go down the group because the number of electrons is also increasing, meaning that the London intermolecular forces are stronger, requiring more energy to be overcome. Cyclohexane and water can be added to halogens to identify them. Chlorine is pale green in both, bromine an orange-brown colour in both, and iodine is purple in cyclohexane and brown in water. 
they're all aqueous in water, for example, Br2 aqueous. Halogens gain electrons to form 1 minus ions, which according to oil rig, which we mentioned in the previous episode, means that they're reduced, so they're therefore oxidising agents themselves. The halogen can also be identified using silver nitrate. Chlorine forms a white precipitate that can dissolve in dilute ammonia. Bromine forms a cream precipitate which can dissolve in concentrated ammonia but not dilute ammonia, whilst the yellow precipitate that's formed in the reaction between iodide ions and silver nitrate will dissolve in neither dilute nor concentrated ammonia. That's it for this episode of the Revision Hub, and we look forward to seeing you next Thursday with a brand new episode. The next episode on the A-level chemistry course will be on calorimetry, a question upon which is typically worth lots of marks in an exam, so an in-depth understanding is essential. Thanks for listening.